0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by one very cool co-host, plus an exciting guest. You got me, Shane, but that's not the exciting part. No, and this week we are joined by Robin Johnson, uh, IF author and former IF comp winner, uh, who's here to help us talk about the games of a comp. So thank you so much for joining us, Robin.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah,
0: thanks. Uh, before we dive into talking about the games of the comp, and by the way, if folks missed last week's episode, that was just, uh, you know, Laura and I introduced uh, the comp and talked a little bit about our coverage and some changes that we're making this year. And the biggest of those is that we are having guests like Robin on for the show. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, so we're excited to have you to talk about the games of this year's comp. But before we dive into that, um, I mean, first of all, we've never had an IF comp winner on the show before. Uh, I just thought I'd ask you a little bit about your history with the comp. Uh, tell me how you got started writing IF, and uh, and what it's like to be part of IF comp.
1: Sure. Well, um, I grew up on the the Infocom games, of course, and that generation. I played some some good and some not so good uh, indie IF in the in the 90s. I first entered IF comp in 2007 with a game called Arts and Butlers, which came. A respectable mid-table. It, uh, interestingly, it was a homebrew system, and it ran in the browser. Mm. And I'm glad to say that uh, diverse authoring systems are much more popular with the IFCOMP now than mm. they were then. So I think it got, I think it got marked down a bit for for that. Um, but I next entered it ten years later with uh, Detective Land which which won in 2016
0: Yeah that was uh, it was a earth-shattering game uh, Detective Land I remember being really really impressed with it so and I know you yeah. know obviously it won so pretty much everybody was I believe that was our first year covering uh, Was the that I guess it was Yes that you was 2016 was our first year and so that was the first winner um and now it's been a few years since then but it is still a very memorable game I one of the things that I remember really impressing me uh, about that was uh not just the presentation but also like the the way that it handled navigation. I thought was very interesting
1: hmm. yeah well it was it was interesting to try and take the things I like about parser games, which includes the navigation and and the world model and try to apply that to a game that you could you could play on a tablet <clears throat> or just with your mouse
0: mm-hmm. And a lot of your other games have sort of built on that. So, like, uh, what's the most recent one? I'm trying to remember. Was it Dracula Land or was that one of the other? Uh,
1: no, that, Dracula Land was actually the first oh, that went oh. into Ryan Veeder's competition uh, the same year. The last year, I entered a, a game called Pirate Ship. That's the one. Ah, the same yeah. engine, basically. I,
0: I really liked, to, liked seeing how those have sort of built on each other. And I, I, I've loved all of the games of yours that I've played, so I'm really excited to have you on. And I'm I'm excited to talk about some of the games this year uh, because you know there's new stuff, stuff that I haven't seen before, some uh, some authors that I haven't read before, as well as some great stuff from returning authors that that. Uh, so I'm sorry that we don't have a game from you in the comp this year, but I'm excited to see a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about this uh, uh, this time around.
1: Yeah, I um, I I. I worked on a game i didn't get it finished in time for the deadline so i thought i'll maybe spring thing or next year yeah. that's
0: that's how it is with the comp no worries we'll see you next year or we'll see you when you i'm excited mm-hmm. to see that get released whenever you uh whenever you can
1: yeah uh, but I'd, you know rather then, have it good than soon a hundred percent
0: a hundred percent it's 2020 guys i don't know about you but it's <laughs> it's been a year that it's been hard to finish some things for me yeah 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 uh <laughs> Not, well, to, not to not to go too are far are. down that conversational rabbit hole, but mm-hmm. I who oh boy, I'm I'm surprised anybody finished games for the complex this year.
1: <laughs> there are more games in the comp than ever by quite a big margin. I think. yeah, it's ninety four. It, no, it's a hundred and something. four. Hundred and, and four. Ah <laughs> oh, man. And I think the tops were sort of mid eighties, maybe high eighties before. So mm-hmm. for whatever reason, people have had time on their hands this year, and some of them have been able to make use of it. I
0: guess, yeah, I guess it's some of that uh, quarantine time. People had time to work on their games. Mm. That's amazing. Well, the first game that I wanted to talk about this week um, was a game called A Rope of Chalk by Ryan Veeder. And Ryan Veeder is a uh, past winner of the comp uh, and a longtime IF author. But actually, for whatever reason, I don't think I had ever played any of his games except possibly one of them way, way, way back far enough that I'm not hundred percent sure whether I played it or just remember learning about it. You know how that is? Yeah,
1: I'm missing out. He is an excellent author.
0: Yes, I'm I'm mainly familiar with Ryan from his podcast, um, uh, which trying to remember the name of Clash of the Type-Ins, which was a uh, mm. uh, Yeah, cool. I, I don't him. think he's been producing it uh very recently, but it's a very it's it's a fun podcast for um classic IF fans because he and uh, and his co-host uh, Jenny uh, I can't recall her last name Jenny Paodna. they play through some of the classic IF together which is fun. yeah that's a really cool concept for a, for a show. I have I've actually tried to do that uh, with this show we uh, Laura and I did an attempt at one point to do a sort of uh, you know on podcast playthrough of an interactive fiction game and uh, it's a hard thing to make into good radio yeah particularly with parser games where there's sometimes a lot of just like trying things and you get a lot of the same output several times in a row and it doesn't really make for great radio. It can be tricky to tricky to make it work. They really mm. do though. So I would definitely recommend checking out that podcast. It's, re- it's really great. And there's quite a back catalog of that. Even if it's not a lot of new episodes, um, you, can, you, know, you can go back and get a lot of enjoyment out of that show. So I'll try to have a link to that in the show notes. In any case, um, I was excited to play this and it was not at all what I was expecting. And yet I had a really, really great time with it. So A Rope of Chalk by Ryan Veeder is uh, its a little bit difficult to talk about without getting into spoilers. So uh, I'm going to do my best, um, but there, w- the game was not what I expected. There are some huge surprises that happen about m- not even a third of the way into the game. Um, so I'm going to talk very lightly around this stuff. And I am going to spoil some of that surprise, but I'll tell you when I'm about to. So, um, my, if you don't want any spoilers at all, I would say overall suggestion, I would really suggest playing this game. It's great. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a parser based game that is, so the, the description on the comp page is an account of the disastrous sidewalk chalk tournament of August 27th, 2011. Um, and, you know, you might be starting to think, how on earth could a sidewalk chalk tournament be disastrous? It's so much worse than you think, let me tell you. Um, so it's a really fun and funny work. It's, it's very amusingly written. And it's not the kind of like, a lot of uh, interactive fiction that is going for comedy goes for a certain type of comedy that is, I, I think, sort of like adventure gamey comedy. Comedy that is, is you know, leading, leaning heavily on absurdism or wordplay. Um, you know, uh, high flying think- comedy, <laughs> which is good stuff, but this is a different type of, of funny. Uh, it's hard for me to really explain without getting into spoilers again, but the, the comedy here really worked for me in a way that I wouldn't have expected. And it wasn't the sort of funny that you usually see in interactive fiction. So if that sounds interesting to you, definitely check it out. So here we go. I'm about to start talking about some spoilers for the, the game. It's a, uh, it's a game that's hard to talk about without them again, recommended, definitely a lot of fun. I think it took me about an hour and a half, maybe if I'm remembering correctly, for whatever reason, this game in particular did not list a time on the comp page. Most of the games do this one. I'm not sure if it was a, if you had a particular reason for not listing a time. Um, so uh, apologies if I'm, uh, if I'm, you know, spilling the beans by saying it took me about an hour and a half, but I don't think that's probably a secret. Anyway, here we are uh, talking about spoilers. Rope of Chalk is probably the best example of a drug trip that I've ever seen in games. Uh, And that's not a thing that I usually find a lot of humor and joy in, but I had a really great time with this one. Um, So the, the game starts with uh, a kind of a disclaimer uh, by the author saying that he's not responsible for inaccuracies in the game. And in fact, actually in the con in the, within the game, uh, Ryan Vider is listed as the editor, not as the author. So I'm not, uh, I'm, he, there's a bit of sort of distance there. I think it's implied that the author is actually one of the characters, but I'm not hundred percent sure on which um, it takes place at an honors program, like an honors arts program at a college and uh, it's a very very hot day. You're standing around outside trying to prepare for a uh, for a, uh, a sidewalk chalk drawing contest, and the whole game takes place over the over about a block worth of sidewalk. Um, it starts off with you just walking around very thirsty. The first act is just walking around. It's very hot. It's very thirsty. And you've been told that you need to solve a problem. The problem being that one of the people involved, uh, has complained that another one of the participants in the competition has drawn something inappropriate and it's making them uncomfortable. And you're tasked with going, uh, to find that drawing and, uh, make a a ruling about it. You're one of the judges of the competition you have to decide whether it's inappropriate and and solve that problem, and mostly that first act is just about you walking through this whole area where all of these people are drawing their various drawings. You get to talk to each of them. You get to uh, uh, you know e- examine everybody's art, and it's it's all very uh, amusing. And at the end of it, you see, of course, that one of the participants has drawn basically a big titty demon, you know, that sort of drawing. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and one of the other participants is made uncomfortable by that. The whole time you're sipping your water, you're sipping your water because it's very hot. You're being followed around by the, uh, the hydration consultant or something like that. There's, everybody has names, you know, they're, they're judges, but the, the hydration agent, I forget what the, what, the, what the role was. They're following you around with a thing full of water and giving you water as you go. But uh, by the time you get back to where all of the judges are hanging out, uh, you pass out from heat exhaustion, question mark. That's the beginning of act one, or that's the end of act one. But from there, it becomes increasingly weird. And when I say weird, like, extremely, extremely weird. Uh, I don't want to go into every single detail of every act, but like, uh, it becomes obvious pretty soon that someone spiked the water with some kind of hallucinogenic drug, um, in order to sabotage the sidewalk (laughs) chalk competition. And, uh, and every and you are switching between characters. Each chapter you're playing as a different character, and each character is having a different response to this uh, to this drug that they've they've been drugged with. Um, and so, for example, uh, in one chapter, you're having to use a parser to navigate your way out of a Wikipedia article that seems to be simultaneously about a fantasy kingdom and also the drug you've been exposed to. Um, that's hard to explain, but it's like really wild stuff and in, in the in and uh, really really funny writing. Um, there's a, a part where you you know you uh, you make your way down to a place where somebody had been drawing uh, an image from the uh, the uh, the movie the Tim Burton movie Nightmare Before Christmas, and you just have mm-hmm. a real heart to heart and totally unburden yourself to Jack Skellington. Um, just really let it all out with him. And he gives you some really great advice. I, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. And it also cuts around in time. You learn a little bit about last year's competition, uh, and, uh, the backstory behind why the person who wanted to sabotage, sabotage this competition. Um, there are puzzles, but they're not like overly complicated. I did reference the walkthrough mainly because I got lost in the Wikipedia article, which is functions a little bit like a maze. Um, (laughs) Uh, I I would definitely recommend playing this. I had a really lovely time with it. The writing is fantastic. Um, I didn't feel guilty about referencing the walkthrough when I did, because there are some bits in this that, that are potentially like blockers, like that navigation, like finding a particular uh, magical bracelet, for example, that you need in order to get past a, uh, a, a massive snake, um, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's it's a it's a heck of a, a parser game. And I am a person, Shane can vouch for this. I'm a person who usually doesn't find like, you know, getting high comedies to be particularly amusing. It's not really my bag. One of our great uh, differences as brothers is mm-hmm. that uh, I love stoner comedies and you are usually not that entertained. I'm not usually that entertained, but this isn't a stoner comedy. It's more It's more about like artistic people having hallucinations and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and it's it's just really, really well done and funny. So I would really recommend check, uh, it sounds awesome. check this one out. Um, and I think it'll probably do really well in the comp. I didn't realize that the content of that game uh, at all. Uh, so it'll be interesting for me to compare that to the stoned ape hypothesis, which I played this week. Mm. Mm. But uh, I think first, just to get them out of the way a little quick, uh, I'm going to cover two games that I played uh, and I'll just give you some of the my basic impressions on them. Um, my approach to the competition, especially a year like this year where we've had so many entries, over 100, which just blows my mind, having seen it grow from... I I think the first year we did it... Well, do you remember how many entries there were in 2016, either of you guys?
1: I think about 80. Yeah, so... And that was high at the time. Yeah, Yeah. I think
0: I've seen it as low as in the, like, 65, 70 kind of range at some points. My
1: my first comp was, I think... I was 17th, I was 42, and that was wow. typical. Jeez, I don't know if it was wow. the biggest
0: one then, but it, it wasn't small. It's so wild to me that that it continues to grow after such an incredibly long time. Like, you know, it and it's not like this has like, you know, it's not like there's like a marketing budget for Comp or anything. Like, I'm just shocked that it continues to snowball after decades. Anyway, yeah. Personally, I blame the. Um, sorry, what's the name of the group that administers Comp? Uh, Interactive IFTF. Fiction Technology Foundation. Yes. I think they've done an incredible job making the, um, the competition website excellent, uh, mm-hmm. and better and better every year. And so one of the things that helps me to just dive in and, and review a lot of games is their random shuffle mm-hmm. feature with a personal shuffle where they'll give you the, the list of games, um, in no particular order and allow you to go through them, um, that way. So you're not reviewing, you know, all the, the games that start with the letter a, for example, um, and so I, I tend to do that every year. And a couple of games that I'll cover right now really sh- really briefly um, stood out to me as odd inclusions in IF comp, hmm. um, both because they um, were neither parser games, nor would I really define them as choice based games. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, Van Life or hashtag Van Life by Victoria is something I have more or less of a professional interest in. It's a piece of e-learning, frankly. It's a piece of e-learning software. I, I almost would not uh, categorize it as a game. It's a strange inclusion in the competition. Are other of you familiar with the Instagram hashtag van life? No.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I am intrigued. A, I am a bit. I have some uh, – I have some – Friends, ish who are very interested. One of my, uh, yes. one of my brothers-in-law, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I guess movement is the wrong word, but I don't know what else to call it. It's a, it's a hobby, I suppose, uh, th- yeah. of uh, of people who want to build fancy vans and then live in them. Yes, down by the river. Mm-hmm. Um. So the the idea is, uh, you know, there's the, one of the most Important things that you do when you're doing your, your your build for a van is to determine your electrical power needs uh, and based on the various activities that you do. And so hashtag van life is a is a piece. It's a game essentially where you are planning and building and then uh, simulatedly living in a van um, that runs off of solar power. And the goal is to have good experiences in that van uh, while not completely draining the batteries in your van. Hmm. It's a very strange piece of software. What I, what I will say, as someone who does like um, e-learning professionally, uh, I thought it was excellently implemented um, and gave really good statistics on your choices at the end um, and included many um, checkpoints for learners. That said, <laughs> I am not sure this is a, a game that I would have expected to see in in if comp, so I will I think that's all I'll really say about it uh, but it was odd. Um, it was odd to find it here and it was odd in and of itself. Yeah, you know, that is interesting, but like i have I have seen things in the comps in in years past that sort of straddled that line between a piece of interactive fiction and a, and a sort of a, a learning game or edutainment or something like that what was that game last year? We were, we were like not sure. Was it last year or the year before where that was the game about driving around Canada? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I remember the, I remember the game. I wasn't one of the ones who played that, but, um, yeah, that was a, it was like Canadian was sort of truck driving simulator. simulator or something like that. And you, you had to, yeah, you, you had yeah. to, uh, uh, it was, it was a bit like a Oregon trail. If in Oregon trail, you were trucking between cities in Canada. Um, wow. And it Lovely. was more, uh, it was more edutainment and teaching you about interesting landmarks around Canada than necessarily interactive fiction. Although I was told that there might have been secrets that we did not discover. I wonder sometimes when I see these games that seem like this is an odd choice for the comp. I always sort of have this, this, you know, this feeling biting at me. Like, did I miss something here? Did I miss the turn mm. where this switches from being, you know, uh, sort of, uh, an edutainment title to, to telling telling a secret story that I've missed mm-hmm. and I've missed things like that before. Like I remember years ago, one of, um, I completely, this is not exactly the same thing, but I completely missed the point of the game take. I forget who wrote that. It was in the comp one year and.
1: That uh, was Catherine Mariotti.
0: Yes. Yeah. I completely missed the point. And, and, uh, and once I learned what I, you know, I heard some people explain it to me later and was like, Oh, of course that's, that's brilliant. And I, com- I had completely missed the point. um, so, like, sometimes I worry that that's the case with something like this. Not, not that I've played van life. I don't know if it seems like there might be something lurking below the surface. No, I feel like van life, uh, it would be very hard to miss the point because uh, there are quizzes that will check to see if you have gotten the point, which is uh, to learn about electronics in a van. <laughs> um, so, Well, that's cool. Enough said on that topic. Um, but like I was saying, I have two kind of oddball, kind of strange fit for the comp um T- games to to share, and the second one is odd in that it's the very first game I've seen submitted to IF Comp that was made in RPG Maker, Ooh. Um, which you may listeners may be familiar with because it's a very popular um, piece of software for developing JRPGs. Um, the game is called Quest for the Sword of Justice uh, by Damon L. Wakes, and to get too much into this would probably be a little bit too spoilerific. Um, because this is a very short game. I think you could play through it in about 20 minutes. Um, uh, but it do- it did. I played through it twice, held up, uh, to a little bit of deeper exploration. Um, and, uh, it was a little odd at first because you have all these like RPG maker things. Like there's a menu you can pull up with, uh, you know, your items and your abilities. And you basically don't use any of that stuff. Uh, it's a game in which you walk around a fantasy town um, and, uh, pick up a few items. Um, and at a certain point you, you, you chew, you pick up a magic sword and, uh, you are arrested and tried for stealing the magic sword. Um, and it's, a, it's an oddball, uh, game. There's going to be a moment in there where, uh, at first I, um, so I, I was convicted of stealing the magic sword in my first playthrough and, uh, locked up in a prison cell Uh, and the game ends by, uh, having you stranded in a prison cell and, uh, you slowly, um, realize there's nothing else to do. You can't get out from the prison cell. Uh, that is the end of the game. Um, if you wait around for a little while, uh, you start to talk to an imaginary friend. Uh, but even that doesn't, um, doesn't, uh, you're never freed. Uh, you just, you've completed the game at that point. So if you're like me, I find this. I have run into this kind of situation in games in the comp before. I think the a couple of years ago we had that game about um, the dragon when you were visiting a dragon. Do you remember the name of that one? Oh, um, oh what it was, was a it very was interesting one to discuss. No, yeah, I remember. We really enjoyed that. It, it was it was a bit of a troll game where like there was well, uh, the, like, uh, debatable, but yeah, uh, but but it yes. was that one also ended in a in a um, unwinnable uh, scenario. I, I like things to tell me when they're over. Uh, if they're over Uh, so I I think I'll I'll consider that a bit of a mark against Quest for the Sword of Justice by Damon L. Wakes Uh, but apart from that it's just interesting to me to see something made in an unusual tool set uh, that nevertheless had many of the same qualities of um, kind of the the typical uh, short experimental pieces that you sometimes see in the competition
1: and I think it's so good that you're you're seeing so many of these experimental pieces and pieces in new systems in IFCOMP um some of them are not so good games. That's why they're experimental. Some of them are brilliant. I, we have for the traditionalists, we have more traditional parser games in IfComp than we've ever had, and that's that's because we've basically extended the definition of If. I think in the last mm-hmm. ten years or so,
0: I absolutely love that. I, I, at first, when we we saw the same thing, I, I think the the proliferation of um, Twine games and things like that, and um, to me, it's always just been delightful to be seeing these new tools. I'm in particular, a big fan of the, the proliferation of the, of the twine games. Cause they, they tend to be, um, a little bit more on the, uh, poetry side of IF, which I tend to enjoy. And they also, I'll, I'll be talking later about how the elephant's child who walked himself got his wings, which is definitely in that, um, in that kind of kind of zone it does, and it does
1: seem to say that on the tin doesn't it yeah
0: it does doesn't it uh, <laughs> um but but yeah so that's the kind of game that i'm more find, finding myself more and more enjoying uh even though you know i do have that um parser based game history I, I love these these kinds of games so um i guess that that's enough said about the quest for the sword of justice um you can play it if you're interested in the tools uh, or if you're interested in seeing something that you probably haven't seen in IF Count before. Yeah. I, I do kind of wonder, like, you know, I, I've always been sort of big tent on what counts as interactive fiction and so has the comp. And I think that's one of the things that has made it strong over the years. You know, there's no, this is not the, you know, inform comp or anything like that. It, you know, you can submit almost anything if you say it's interactive fiction. And I think that's really a strength of the way the comp is run. But I do sort of wonder, like, you know, uh, Robin, do you have any thoughts on like, well, where is, is there a line between interactive fiction and other types of games that that can be drawn in any meaningful way? Or is it just like,
1: I don't know if it's a clear line. I mean, the, the definition that the, the other interactive fiction competition spring thing uses is a game is IF if it relies on its words, if you took the words out of the game, would it be the same game? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is definitely not, then it's IF. But even they I I don't think they'd rule on whether a particular game is welcome or not if its author mm-hmm. feels it is.
0: Yeah. Tetris clones feel um feel somewhat outside that definition,
1: but uh No, I don't think someone if <laughs> someone tried to put a Tetris clone in IFCOM, we might have a problem that we don't have and probably won't have. No. Uh I'd rather just say come and enjoy. Yeah, although you know, if they wanted to submit a Tetris clone that in between, you know, when you when you
0: cleared a line, told you a line of story oh, yeah. or something like that. Absolutely. Well,
1: there was a hot take about Tetris on Twitter the other day that Tetris is oh god, I can't. It was either left wing or right wing propaganda, whichever <laughs> one the Twitter didn't like, um, because you're trying to make these blocks fit into. Spaces and isn't that just like education or something? <laughs> but you know, that would make a really interesting piece of IF. I would, I would love to see that. I would love to see that too.
0: I would, uh, yeah. man, I remember 21. Bring it. Many, many years ago, I played a, uh, somebody had hacked uh, like a Z machine Tetris that was, that was run in, in the in the Z code parser. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was one of the, the fu- it was actually the only version of Tetris I could run. This was many, many, many <laughs> years ago. And I had an old uh, like 128. Hey Mac, and that was actually one of the only versions of Tetris I could run on it. Uh, I,
1: there's a Twitter account, Emoji Tetra, which is a game of Tetris by Twitter polls. You have 20 minutes to move. <laughs> oh man <laughs> the f- Fascinating thing about it. I don't know how relevant this is to your program, but I'm going to complete the thought.: It's <laughs> a wonderful thing to whenever, hear about regardless. Whenever there is a strong second place vote, it's always the better move because most of the people will just click the obvious move if it looks like it's going to fit in this this gap um but there's a few people that are good at tetris and they so 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 there is a way to get people to make the right choice democratically but there's no way to implement it because you can only do it if they don't know that that's how they're voting so oh
0: now that's the propaganda yeah <laughs> Democracy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway, there is there are stories to be told about Tetris, and I would love to see them in IFCOMP.
0: That would be interesting. Um, so, Robin, I think you played. Uh, oh, I'm going to mispronounce it, aren't I? The Eleusinian
1: Miseries. I don't think I can pronounce it better than that. Yes, I did. Uh, that was one of the first games I played, and it is delightful. It is Bertie Worcester in ancient Greece. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the <laughs> Yes of Worcester. Novels. Perfect, perfect. Um, and they fit so well into ancient Greece. We've seen, we see Woodhouseian fiction in in, in IF every now and then. Uh, in fact, there's a game I want to play in this year's comp, The Magpie Takes the Train, which is, is pretty much PG Woodhouse. You occasionally see ancient Greek settings. This is, to my knowledge, the first time they've been put together. And it fits really well because... Um, you know, the Bertie Worcester stories are about an upper-class, upper, upper class, fat-headed young man trying to impress his mates through hijinks, and this is a game about uh, trying to get through the initiations of an ancient Greek secret society, uh, but it's written, the, the whole narrative voice is, is very BG Woodhouse, it is occasionally a little over the top, I... Don't mind that. I'd I'd rather it went over the top than, than stayed under the top. Uh the the puzzles themselves are fairly fairly standard for adventure games. But the the voice in which they're told is, is what gives it its its joy.
0: It looks really charming. I, I don't think I've played anything by Mike Russo before, or maybe I'm no, just mixed, I'm sure missing the
1: name. Has he been in the comp before, or do you know? I'm afraid I don't know he knows what he's doing he, there there are no rookie mistakes i googled mike russo and i got a lot of results about a person that i'm not sure if he's the same one or not i'm checking ifdb i see reviews he wrote from way
0: back in 2004 so he's been okay. with the competition yeah. for a while yeah yeah as as far as i can tell from his uh from his ifdb profile this is his first game in the comp and might be his first first interactive fiction work
1: well it is it's very polished if it's if it's somebody's first game i'm even more impressed
0: yeah apologies to mike russo if we're missing something i don't know your 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 past work but if this is a a debut work it's always really exciting to see a debut work that seems actually you know both both like technically polished and like you know well written and everything it's very exciting to see that debut so um you both congratulations and uh, looking forward to playing this game I really want to check it out before the close of the comp
1: you really should, it's uh, it's well structured as well, it, it begins it begins with your, your friends basically shut you in the cellar and said you can't come out to the party until you've gathered up these few essential items which are uh, I think there's like two different sorts of vases because of <laughs> ancient Greece you of have course. to get a a Kythera and a Kratos and an Amphora or something so you're wandering around in this small space of, of four rooms to get these this handful of MacGuffins and, and then it all opens up and it's it's wonderful. It's anarchic. It's just charming. You've totally wet my appetite for
0: um some Jeeves and Wooster later. I mm. oh, what a i i think you're you really are onto something there. I I wonder why it is such a good fit for IF, because there's something very similar about the kind of the kind of humor that you have in the PG Wodehouse books that, that that you have in the uh, typical. I- there is a kind of a if sense of humor. I mean In another era, PG Wodehouse could have written this the text of you know the Monkey Island games or something in a way like oh,
1: if if PG Wodehouse <laughs> had grown up in the age of computers, we would have some excellent games,
0: <laughs> doubtless, doubtless.
1: And also the the fact that it, resetting it in
0: ancient Greece makes a lot of sense, but I think you could transport those characters to anywhere where you had like a super class-based society and yeah. that those mm-hmm. stories and dynamics would work really well. Like, you know, you can, you can have like a, a an upper-class twit and a competent servant. Those are like the, uh, those are archetypes that, that show up in all sorts of places and, and just work yeah. super well. So that's a, that's really awesome. I can't wait yeah. to play this. Almost any IF could benefit from a Jeeves-like, uh, very helpful NPC uh, mm. who is going around and, and uh, smoothing things over for Talk you. Talk about a good hint system. I don't know if that's this in this, but like, yeah.
1: My game, Aunt's and Butlers, does that, basically. Mm. If you take an action that will lose you the game, a mysterious butler appears and <laughs> tells you not to. And then Perfect. if you try and do it again, you, you'll do it and you'll lose. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: So the next game I wanted to talk about was Babyface by Mark Sample. And, um, I don't, I'm not on like the author's forum or anything, but, uh, but, uh, I was told that this game had a little bit of buzz on there. I was also told that it had a jump scare, which was something that I was very intrigued by, but because I don't think I've ever seen a jump scare in a, in a comp game. Um, and sp- spoilers, I, didn't see one in this, so I think either folks were interpreting something as a jump scare that what that I didn't interpret as such, or uh, you know maybe they were just jumpier than me, um, or I'm not sure where that came from. But that was what got me in the door. Was this is a horror game, and I was in the mood for a horror game, and I was think and I knew it was going to be doing something with sound, um, and that's always exciting in a horror game. So that's what got me in the door here. This is one of the more effective horror IF pieces I've played, um, which, you know, I, I really like horror, uh, especially like um, horror choice-based twine style stuff, because they can usually work in some rich media sound and imagery and so on. And, and, uh, and it, you can be really unsettling with it. And Babyface does all of that extremely, extremely well. Um, the, the, the premise, the setup is, Oh, I'm just going to read the uh, the description from the comp page, which I thought was, Uh, Was really good. We are haunted by the houses of our childhood. How unfamiliar they are when we return. Yet you never forget, do you? You never really forget. A Southern Gothic horror story. Remember, of all the masks we wear, it's the final one that matters. So that's a good, you know, a good description. The premise and the setup of this game really nailed a sort of horror setup and horror build. Um, It is. the 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 setup is that you are um you I hope I'm remembering the exact order here the uh, your your father calls you over it's clear that your mother has passed away sometime recently and he's going through a bunch of her stuff and he finds a bunch of photographs that he can't explain and uh and you're going through these photographs with him and there's there's photographs of uh her high school boyfriend that, uh, you learn some dark history about, and I won't spoil this stuff here because it is a horror game and it works by surprising you in horrific ways. And so I won't, uh, I won't potentially lessen that impact for you by going into too much detail here, but the, this idea of like digging into a dark secret of one of your parents and that secret leading you back to a horrible place that you remember from your childhood, the sort of feeling of like, you know there was this haunted house in our neighborhood no one went there you know i had these terrifying feelings about it when i was a child but surely those are surely those are silly oh are they they're you know it's coming back to that that childhood horror as an adult um, that's really, really effective. A couple things that this does really, really well. Uh, it starts with an audio test to make sure that your your sound is working, which I was very glad that I did. Because uh, note to people potentially playing this game, uh, it only worked in Chrome or Microsoft Edge for me. It didn't work on iOS at all. Didn't work in uh, in Safari on a Mac. Um, so make sure that you take that audio test before you start the game and make sure that it's working for you because the sound was a huge part of this experience. It does stereo like binaural sound that really makes you feel like you're in spaces in a way that was really, really effective. Um, lots of breathing, lots of house noises, lots of creepy sounds. And it also does a great job with things like including photos as part of the, the work. So, you know, there's, for example, like a scene where you're going through the photographs that your mother left behind, and you've got a screen with a bunch of, uh, of pictures of Polaroids on them and you can flip those Polaroids over and look at the backs. And, and it's, I I thought it was really effective at just sort of including imagery where it made sense, but also not trying to make the game a, you know, photo shock fest or something like that. It's not, it's really just deploying it very specifically and letting the text do the work when, you know, in many cases in horror, your brain is going to be a lot scarier than anything they could, uh, you know, could mock up and put on screen. So, um, really great balance there. I will say as a person who loves horror, um, it didn't quite carry it over the line for me in terms of the ending. And again, I'm not going to spoil the ending here because it's, it's the kind of thing that, uh, That, you know, pretty much anything I say about it will sort of spoil it. Um, So I I won't. But I will say that, like, um, uh, there were a couple of sort of hanging plot threads, things that I thought were going to be very important and then kind of weren't. Or maybe I missed something. And the end just didn't sort of hit as hard as I was expecting. It had this sort of, um, you know, horrific word picture image that, that sort of closes the game, like a lot of horror does, you know, this sort of, like, you know creeping up to and finally revealing the horror of the game and it 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 didn't land quite the way that I would have liked so as a horror piece I I think it's it's like 80% of the way there it just didn't quite Grab me, but that's also something that might grab different people in different ways. Horror can really be about like what are your particular brain problems that that make things scary to you, right? So like the setup of this worked incredibly well for me, and I I will admit that the ending didn't quite. Um, but overall, I think it's a really really strong piece of horror fiction in a if form, um, particularly because of the use of like sound and pictures. So I would 100% rec- recommend people check this out, especially play it with headphones, play it with the lights out. You'll be creeped out. It was fun. So I teased a little earlier, um, but I played a game called The Stoned Ape Hypothesis by James Heaton. And this one, you know, it was also kind of one of my random shuffle games, but uh, the name did catch my eye. It, I, I had to double check on Wikipedia, but uh, I had heard of I had heard this this phrase before: the "stoned ape hypothesis." Um, and the general idea of the stoned ape hypothesis, which is a idea put forward by kind of Timothy Leary kind of guy from the 1990s, um, uh, and who's famous for being kind of the intellectual voice of rave culture uh <laughs> was his it was his theory uh that human intelligence comes from psilocybin mushrooms <laughs> um okay which um the the general idea I think the gist is that we were um apes that would follow herds of beasts across the plains and uh because of that of course we would have been around um dung. And if we're around dung, then of course, we would be picking up and eating mushrooms that we would find on this dung. And so, of course, that would naturally lead to human intelligence. Uh, I don't particularly agree with this, uh, this kind of shamanistic hypothesis for the origin of the species, but uh, I think it's interesting to think about. And the stoned ape hypothesis Um, here written by James Heaton, who is kind of taking that and making it into a kind of dawn of man kind of, um, setting for IF. Um, in terms of how this is presented, it's a pretty simple, but very well implemented piece of uh, ink. So if you're, if you know Inkle Studios, they do this, this language ink, they created for their own internal use and, and then released for, for people outside of the outside of the company to use. I haven't seen that many pieces of IF in the competition that used this, um, but it is really um, – I think it, when I do see it, it, it's usually pretty well implemented and people tend to be able to do some pretty neat things with it. And, and that's true here as well. Um, one of the things that I thought was pretty neat about it is this game – at several points throughout the story you collect various psilocybin mushrooms uh, as a uh, and each time you do so um like a mental mario uh you grow in your intelligence and it changes all of the world descriptions that you see hmm. um so you know there are there are puzzles that you have to become more intelligent in order to to do um in terms of the structure it's very simple. I think there's maybe like 5 or 6 locations uh that you might that you navigate between, but uh and the puzzles themselves are also pretty simple. Uh but when I say it's well implemented, one of the things is that there are actually 3 different mini games incorporated into the puzzles. Um and this is something I don't often see. There's a um, this is where it kind of feels like a little a little piece of experimentation for the for the for the author for the creator. Um, the first one is tic tac toe, just straight up. Um, but seeing that played out in something written with ink, which is basically choice based, if um, where you make a choice, like clicking, you know, it it presents you like okay, of this grid, would you like to put your mark in box one, two, three, four, you know, through <laughs> okay. nine, right? Um, So that kind of implementation Uh, and that's where I think the real experimentation is going on in here. It's this tool that's made for something very choice-based, but first off it incorporates that. Uh, You play, once you've gained a certain level of intelligence, you're able to play tic-tac-toe with someone. Uh, At a later point, um, you're challenged to win a game of Mancala, uh, which is written in a a very similar way to the tic-tac-toe. And then uh, at another point you have to uh, fight and kill a beast, uh, or be killed, and that incorporates kind of a a combat system that has like HP and then sort of a um, rock paper scissors style kind of attack selection. Hmm. So there's a lot mechanically going on here. This feels like something someone made as a as a way of kind of learning and trying new things in in their Development tool of choice. Um, so, but what it does, it does very well. I didn't, I didn't ever really get stuck. I didn't run into any any bugs. It was well made. Uh, the writing was interesting. It's a little bit uh, contained, and like I said, there's like five or six locations, uh, but that makes it actually very easy to navigate and get around. Uh, and it also has a built in help system, so that you know, if you ever do get stuck, which I you know, I, I don't think I, I think I might've clicked it just to see what it did and to expedite a couple of things. Um, but at any point you can get help and it'll point you in the right direction. So I always appreciate that, uh, in interactive fiction. So this is a good example of something that's well implemented. I, I didn't find apart from some of the early kind of leveling up my brain with mushrooms stuff. I didn't find the, the writing to be particularly engrossing, but it was all well done. And, uh, I think shows that this person is trying out these new, new-ish, I guess, tools and and really trying to figure out all the things that are possible there, which I like.
1: How does it stop you winning the tic-tac-toe game with your own intelligence? If you're not it doesn't
0: really. I think it, mainly it stops you from playing the tic-tac-toe game okay. with your ah, with okay. your intelligence.
1: And that's the kind of restriction you can put on the player in and, and that sort of choice-based system. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I he- I heard a lot about Ink when it first when they first uh, I guess open sourced it and I haven't heard a whole lot about it since. I know that was used for um, for Heaven's Vault, which uh, you know it-, it has a lot more going on than just being choice based. If, but the core of that game was its its dialogue, and my yeah. goodness, that was a complicated. <laughs> Complicated our uh, our today. podcast has covered Heaven's Vault, but also 80 Days and Sorcery, which were all done with uh, ink. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, I forgot about um, that Sorcery. I guess that was that. Yeah, that's really cool. Then the next game I was going to talk about pretty briefly, I think, was the Moon Wed Saturn, um, which I picked out because it was by Sue David. Who um, I don't know their work super well, but I enjoyed the Good People last year in the comp quite a bit. And, um, so I was excited to give this a shot. It's also listed as a romance game in its, uh, in its description, uh, which I usually like, you know, I like, uh, that interactive fiction pretty much uniquely among types of video games, uh, you, you can, can deal with relationship stuff in ways that you just can't do in other types of interactive media. Like, you know, there's no great romance platformer, you know what I mean? So I, I'm always excited to sort of see people's take on that in things like IF Comp. And, and this was a really, really good one. Um, it, it was doing some things that I thought were really cool uses of the words on the page as uh, as part of the storytelling. So the the big thing about this, first of all, the, the title, The Moon Wed Saturn, is a bit of a, a, a play on the fact that this is a game that takes place across three days, a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Saturday. And it's a romance between a woman who works as a security guard uh, at what seems to be a sort of an abandoned or only partially finished uh, residential development in some sort of small tourist town where the economy has sort of curled up and died and most people have moved on, Um, and a woman who seems to be sort of passing through uh, and is exploring the uh, you know, trespassing basically on the place where this person is meant to be working as a security guard. And the game, uh, first of all, it, it tells you right off the bat that you need to play this on a widescreen device, something like a tablet horizontally or a uh, a computer. Um, you can't play it on something like a phone, even though it technically will play, it's not meant to. And that's because it does something really cool with the layout, which is that it's flashing between different uh days you know the, the, this this sort of romance takes place over those 3 days uh the monday wednesday and the saturday of this week um and those appear as columns so uh you know you you begin on Monday, and you'll have a short sort of narrative bite of what's going on with them. It's it's very much told through these sort of like little glimpses of narrative, little like two or three paragraph uh, sort of moments, little snapshots of these two people's interactions. And you know you'll uh, you'll see a little brief moment from their conversation on Monday, for example, and then you make a choice. And then maybe you'll see the consequences of that choice on Wednesday, uh, in the second column or on Saturday in the third column on screen. And it does some nice things with the, with the visuals of that. So for example, like, in certain cases, maybe you finished something that happens on Monday and Monday the text gets smaller and the text actually kind of rotates to an angle to kind of indicate like, okay, this was setting that aside for a moment and, and it emphasizes the, the Saturday column, for example. Uh, looks really cool as you're, as you're doing it. I thought it was just really like, I hadn't seen anything doing quite that before and, um, it really made the, the sort of out of sequence narrative work. Sometimes these sort of relationship stories work really well if you're telling like moments from a relationship out of sequence, right? Um, you know, seeing the uh seeing the beginning when people are are feeling one way about each other, flashing to the end when they feel differently, seeing things how how choices play out across that time, even though it is a fairly short amount of time, just these 3 days. Um, it's I thought also just a really nicely done sort of um romance story. Uh it's not like the like grand successful, you know, let's all get married at the end kind of romance. It's more just the sort of like uh, two people meet and have a certain connection and they're sort of struggling to, to figure out what that connection is. We're only seeing it from one of their two perspectives and the the sort of uh, perspective character um, has a lot of sort of personal issues that you get to make some choices about how they feel about themselves and their their place. So like how they feel about their Their job, do they feel stuck in this job? Or do they take satisfaction from the sort of simplicity of being in the same place all the time in this sort of boring, sort of dead end job? Um, You know, choices about how they feel about this other person. And uh, it has, I thought, just interesting themes for this sort of of thing, you know, what keeps people from opening up to each other? And, you know, what uh, being, deciding whether you're, you're, uh, feeling stuck, or whether that that feeling of of stability is a valuable thing to you, and uh, I just thought it was a really really nicely done thing. And um, it occasionally flashes to it. Uh, it, it has this uh, occasional moments where it seems to flash far into the future, where you're sort of looking back on this all in retrospect. So it has this sort of feeling of of like uh, a romance that you know is on some level doomed from the beginning. It's a, it's a really sweet piece of writing. I just thought it was really, really nicely done. And um, I would absolutely recommend people check it out. It's pretty short. I think it's about 15 minutes long, uh, maybe 20 or 30 at the most. And um, I mean, I, I just thought it was a really, really strong piece of writing and really good use of the sort of text on the page to to be part of that storytelling. So um, I would highly recommend folks check this one out. Well, someone who I definitely had never played anything of theirs uh, is Peter Eastman. Although, once I looked him up, I found uh, that he has submitted to the IF comp several times. Uh, in fact, all the way back in 2003, Peter Eastman came in uh, 11th place in the competition, uh, but has only ever submitted in 2003, and then twice in 2019, and twice in 2020. Oh. Yeah, so it actually... Has another game which I've not played. I always forget that you can do that, that you can like submit more than one game to the comp. And anytime I see like multiple games from the same person, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that.
1: You can submit up to three. Um, that was to stop the late Paul Panks submitting much more than three. That's all, <laughs> all I will say about him.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and I, I, I would, um, I have found it a little uh, a little odd when I've noticed things like that. there is another author who um, I, I won't be reviewing today, maybe in a later episode who I, I found had done two games this year. But both this game, how the elephant's child who walked by himself got his wings um, and uh, Eastman's other game this year, Phantom, appear to be adaptations or um, inspired by you know famous works of fiction. Uh, Peter Eastman here in, I will just call it the elephant's child. Um, uh, it's a, it's basically a, a play on just so stories by Rudyard Kipling. Um, the name itself is kind of a a mishmash of the names of several of the different stories from that. Um, and it's choice based. I think it's twine and it, it plays out with, um, you know, if you're not familiar with the, with these stories, Rudyard Kipling wrote a lot of stories with names like how the camel got his hump and how the rhinoceros got his skin and how the leopard got his spots. And so there are all these lovely little fanciful Was it tales. by eating
1: psychedelic mushrooms? <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> you know, it might very well be um, how the how the human got its smarts uh, by eating a psychedelic mushroom. Uh, but th- this one is kind of um, – taking a lot of those different kind of the, the overall aesthetic of those stories, which is very um, it's, it's this sort of thing that is written very much to be a children's bedtime story. You know, you, you are um, and, and in this piece, you are actually getting three stories told to you um, and you are the child hearing the bedtime story. Um, And it's, I think a very good um, impression of Kipling in this way. Um, and you are making choices like, well, um, and when the tiger came to the, or first off, it'll ask you, would you rather hear a story about a whale or a tiger or something like that, um, which is quite nice. It feels like it branches quite a bit. Uh, and then even within those individual stories, uh, you're making choices like, well, the the tiger is going to go and and try to eat a, um, you know what? He's uh, he's very hungry, so he wants to eat. Uh, does he want to eat an elephant uh, or does he want to eat a whale? Um, and then when he goes to try to eat the whale, uh, you choose. Well, how does he get out to try to reach the whale? He he's going to take a ride on the back of a crocodile, or is he going to uh, find a raft? Um, so the stories themselves uh, feel very much like uh telling a bedtime story to a child. Mm. Uh, in fact, I did try reading some of these to my three-year-old and he was enjoying them. So I, I would say this is my first thing from the IF comp that I would recommend as a children's bedtime story. It really is nice. Um, and you can get the kids to, to make their, their pig and, and to that end, it works very well on something like an iPad or an iPhone. If you're, you know, sitting down with them in, in the dark of a, of a kid's room and, and you want to tell them a little story. So so that aspect of it works really, really well. I, I, I thought it was just the right length. It was quite funny. And uh, you know, it, it, like a lot of these twine-based things, uh, it was more on the kind of poetry side. There's not really a puzzle to it, 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 it unless you consider uh, getting a child to go to sleep to be a puzzle, which I do. Um, <laughs> and and I, I don't have that much else to say about it. I thought it was a really excellent use of, uh, of twine you know it was a it was i often feel like things are feel kind of shoehorned into choice based fiction where it might not be very clear why i am being asked to make a certain choice but this it, it's very much you know very much feels natural to to be asked what did the capybara do next you know and and being able to choose things like that so um i think it was really really beautiful it makes for a really nice uh, story just like the original Kipling stories, and it kind of whet my appetite for those. I, I think I may I may try those out on my son, uh, given how he responded to the. Uh, let me see if I can get this name right one more time. How the elephant's child who walked himself got his wings. Uh, that's, really so nice. thanks, Peter. that's really nice. That's uh, really nice. That's that's awesome. I'm glad to hear. Uh, glad to hear your kid liked it. I, I can't think of anything else from the comp that I would read to my kid at this point. <laughs> Uh, the, the last thing on our list that we wanted to talk about today uh, was one that both Robin and I played but uh, Robin I thought maybe you could introduce it that's Limerick Quest by Pace Smith
1: That was Limerick Quest by Pace Smith This is We were talking about the, the increase in diversity of games in the IFCOMP This is a game that we would not have if it weren't for for that incoming wave of authors of mm-hmm. all kinds. This is at its core, it's a choice-based game, but it's one of those choice-based games that uh, feels fairly like a parser game, which is a difficult thing enough to do in itself. This game consists entirely of limericks, and they scan. I am um, it's amazing hard to please limerick wise. Uh, Talk about games with poetry. <laughs> who are as irritated by bad scansion as i am and they will understand oh yeah these limericks scan
0: a hundred percent and
1: when and when they
0: didn't i realized it was because my pronunciation of a word might be different than the authors
1: yes i had to look up um i will say there are some accent specific rhymes Uh, i had to find out that apparently in the u.s you say stalactite we do. And that makes that makes bases <laughs> Limerick scan. And what that's what fine, do What uh, do you say? The language she's writing in stalactite. Oh, okay, okay. So she has I'll allow stalactites it. Stalactites <laughs> hang down from the ceiling. And <laughs> I thought that should be like dark stalactites hang from the ceiling, but but no, stalactites. I've gone off on a tangent. No, not at all. That's very important information. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> that's why we're here. Um,
1: but yeah, I, I I found
0: this was just so exciting because like. So I know that this is basically a pseudo sequel to, or maybe it's a straight up sequel. I'm not sure if the characters are shared. I didn't play Limerick Heist last year.
1: The, the two main characters are so there's a heist posse of four or five characters, and it's two of them. Okay, that are the main characters here, and
0: and here this is the the story is a bit more of an Indiana Jones style. Uh, so I was expecting when it said quest for whatever reason I was expecting fantasy, but this is more like. Uh, uh, you know, action adventure, uh, very clearly inspired by an Indiana Jones type of story. But really, honestly, the you could tell me any type of story in entirely limerick form, and I don't even really care. I'm into it. Like whatever. It's it was it yeah. was so fun to read. Every single line of this was a joy. I don't know what it is about but, limericks in particular, but they're just so much fun to read.
1: And it wasn't just the story. She's done the options screen mm-hmm. in limericks, all the death messages, your inventory is in limericks. It's amazing. You you acquire items and you drop items depending on how you play, and your inventory is a limerick that scans all the way through it. Yeah,
0: I I, I took some screenshots of examples of this so I could share that with you. That's so fun. So I don't know exactly what point in the game these are from. I'm pretty sure there's no important uh, spoilers in them. But uh, So at one point, your inventory is, you look through your knapsack and see, the egg contains cryptic decree... Your trusty old whip, a shovel, steel tip. Alas, a distinct lack of tea.
1: I want to point out the significance of that line about the tea. Mm-hmm. That is not only a good punchline to a limerick, that is a reference to Infocom's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: Yes. In which the your That's inventory right.
1: always ends in no tea. <laughs> because you're Arthur ten wandering around <laughs> on a spaceship miserable that you haven't got any tea. And that is, this is... This is when choice games come full circle and start playing into parser games again. It's, it's beautiful, but it's also an extremely smart decision here because they need to be able to flex
0: their inventory mm-hmm. to scan even when you pick up additional items. So it can drop, it, you know, it, it can change from, alas, a distinct lack of T to just no T uh, in order to, you know, use some syllables elsewhere. So, for example, you pick up another item and, and immediately afterwards, You look through your knapsack and see the egg contains cryptic decree, your trusty old whip, a shovel, steel tip, a gear, old and battered, no tea. And, uh... So every single time you change your inventory, it still scans, yeah. and there's so many It'll different say the egg items. Riddle
1: the key. <laughs> it's when insane. You, you have the key. It's brilliant.
0: And even the uh, even you know at the bottom of the screen, you it's not a parser, but you're right. It has that parser like navigation. So you have like north, mm. south, east, west. It could just give you buttons for north, south, east, west. But no, of course, at the bottom of the screen, in every room, there is a unique limerick for you know. Uh, land that goes northward has ceased. West is the river, like east. It flows to the south, you wrinkle your mouth, your options have sharply decreased. And so that just means that, okay, I'm in a room and the only option I have is to go south. South is a link. Everything else is telling me you can't go north or or east or what have you. Um, every room has its own unique limerick for navigation, which is just wild. How do you do that? This one, That's wild. What- what really impressed me about it, though, is that like it doesn't just like it, it would almost have been enough to give you just like an extremely basic uh, you know navigation through a through a you know creepy dungeon with extremely basic puzzles, uh, but all in Limerick like that would still that would been that would have been great. But it actually is extremely diverse.
1: That is. Basically, what Limerick Heist was last ah. year, and and this year she's taken that and run with it, and it's it's a it's a complete it would be a good game without the
0: Limericks. It really would. There's so many different yeah. types of mechanics explored here. The puzzles really reminded me of Counterfeit Monkey by uh, mm. Emily Short. It has that sort of like play with language. I don't want to spoil anything here, um, but I, I'll kind of give a very brief hint that like a lot of the puzzles. Are playing with like trying to find items to put into different places that will fit in the in the scansion of the Limerick, um, which makes sense as a as a puzzle mechanic here. But it like it it really it does so many fun things with that, um, and even things like the even like when you make choices, a lot of the times it'll give you a drop down list of of things that you can choose from in the context of like uh like okay for example uh. I, I fell into some water at one point. You're underwater, and uh, and you're you know in a rushing torrent of water, and and you have uh you're free from the stone, but beware. You're now underwater, and air is nowhere in sight. You ponder your plight and swim, and there's a drop down, and the default choice is I don't know over there.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then of course you're you have to choose between all of the options, and so you know instead of I don't know over there, your choices are. Toward a very wet bear, toward the ice slide <laughs> and square, towards the ocelot pair, <laughs> or you swim overwrought with despair, and each of those is an option that you can choose from when you're when you're trying to swim to your uh, to your you know salvation. And I, uh, of course, chose toward a very wet bear, and let me tell you, that did not come out well. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's really fun that they like they just keep finding ways to like fit new interactions into the limericks. You know, there's that there's, there's a timed minecart section that makes like limericks into a, into a, uh, like a chase sequence that involves like fast action. Like there's so many clever puzzles. It's really, really something like super impressive.
1: It's yeah, I'm speechless. I'm not speechless. I've said a lot, but it's great.
0: (laughs) I, I think for me, this is probably my favorite thing I've played in the comp so far, and that's saying a lot because there's some really, really good stuff. But like Limerick Quest is a really complete package, uh, and just the amount of effort involved in creating just the text of the game, making sure everything scans and everything is just is just astonishing. But something about something about finding clever rhymes always makes even like mundane moments in the game really fun to read i had just a, a lot of fun playing through this about how long did it take you to play this one
1: uh i have to, i'm stuck i've been playing for i don't know 45 minutes oh no like that. Um, well I'm, yeah it's uh it's i a, won't go into spoilers but uh I, I'm, I'm sure can we can talk spots.
0: offline and, and it's it, it's a it's a uh I, I thought i was going to get stuck on this one um there was one significant puzzle where I did get stuck and I checked the walkthrough and it's very helpful. Um, but something about the walkthrough that I thought was very, very nice was that it tells you like, if you follow this walkthrough, you are going to see 10% of the dumb stuff we put into this game or something like yeah. that, which, uh, you know, I, I had a great time with like, there's multiple branching paths. I enjoyed the fact that I had to die and start a chapter over and saw something completely different. Um, mm. and yeah, if you do get stuck, you know, the walkthrough is there. It's nice to have that as an option. There is one particular puzzle puzzle that um i wonder were you stuck at the puzzle that involved a catapult
1: no no
0: oh the, that's where i, I got very badly that. stuck but yeah it's uh okay th- so it's worth checking the walkthrough if you get truly stuck uh and or or hey come join us on our discord and we would be happy to uh to talk hints and try and do them in a as invisible a away as possible Uh, Um, but, uh, anybody that anybody out there that's, uh, that's stuck on this one, it's so worth seeing to the end because it continues to be clever and fun the entire way through. So, um, definitely recommend checking it out. So, um, looking at our recording clock, we are getting, uh, this episode is getting up there in length. So I think I had one more game that I might have included, but I think we'll probably leave it for next time. Um, Does anybody have any kind of last thoughts about this year's comp? Just that I'm excited for, you know, the other games I'm going to play. I'm I'm starting to run out of the ones that say they're 15 minutes long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I've been going into our spreadsheet sometimes and sorting by length, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm uh, hitting the the longer stuff too. There's some long ones in the comp this year. There's one in there that says it's 15 hours long. (laughs) I'm probably not playing that one. Sorry to the author. That's
1: little girl in Monsterland. yeah 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 it's it's interesting i i won't start talking about it because we're pushed for time but uh that is doing interesting things with interface as well really yeah worth looking at
0: i'd like to take some time and play it but also 15 hours is a that's that's a lot of other comp games combined Mm so maybe maybe towards the end um so looking forward to checking more stuff out robin thank you so much for coming on the show it's really a joy to have you fun yeah, and um, anytime you feel like coming back, we are making an effort to uh, to talk about more interactive fiction as part of our regular show. We've always done uh, IF comp as a uh, as a recurring yearly thing on the show, and it's one of the highlights of my year. But we don't cover a lot of interactive fiction outside of our comp coverage, and that's something that I'm trying to change a little bit. I'd like to cover more sort of of the big interactive fiction uh, you know, as things come out through the year or even go back and cover older stuff. So um, if you, Hey, have a game where you think, Hey, this would be a fun one to talk about for an hour into a microphone. Let us know. We'd always love to have you back.
1: Absolutely, thank you. Have
0: and your people talk to my people. We will, um, and listeners, <laughs> you can do the same if you have an interactive fiction game that you think we should cover. Whether it's part of the comp, now's a really great time to tell us about those, so we can make them part of our coverage. Or even uh, interactive fiction that you've liked that isn't a part of the comp, and you just want to tell us about it and and uh, let us know that we should sh- talk about it on the show. Uh, you can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all of our information. You'll find a contact form there. That's a great place to drop us a longer note, uh, or of course you can. Find find us on Twitter at underscore short game. That's a good way to go. Uh, we also have a discord, uh, that is for our patrons on Patreon and uh, anybody who supports the show at even a dollar a month, uh, gets instant access to our Patreon, which is where we talk about the games that we're playing. We, uh, have the conversations that become the conversations on this, this show. So if you want to join us there, we would love to have you, um, whether you want to join us just to talk about IF comp or just to hang out, whatever. Uh, so join us there. It's a great conversation and a great time uh, and uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash the short game uh, support us there and it'll instantly add you to the discord um, you can also find me on twitter uh, at reagan k um, robin where can people find you and your work
1: i am on twitter i am at r douglas johnson or you can find my games on itch i am versificator dot awesome um, if you search for Robin Johnson, interactive fiction, that's probably better than than the word versificator. I have no idea why I picked it. <laughs> hey, you know,
0: it's uh, it's good for Googling if you, uh, you're you not likely to come up with anything else from that. So go for that. Yeah, uh, And uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So uh, thank you again so much for joining us on the show. Shane, where can people find you? Also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And thank you listeners for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.